1: Disenfranchised from everything. Oh, well, I fall up and I fall down. An American loser the day
3: I was born.
4: Hello. Welcome back to another edition of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place, telling you the stories of the biggest losers in American history. I'm your host, K.P. Burke, and I know a thing or two about losing. And with me, as always, is my Dilf of a dad, Larry. How hey, are you? there
2: he is. Hey, Kev. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm well, doing all right. We're you, hanging in. You sure? Yeah, well, well, just trying, you know. We, we got a rowdy crew here you gotta today. S- you got to stand in the box and try to hit what's pitched. That's but,
4: uh... <laughs> What else can you do, right? Well, where else could we be other than a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey? Ming himself behind the ones and twos. Wow. Thank you very much, sir. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, I I would want. I love being here. I want to be here every time. But uh, the Kahuna got some kind of weird ear infection. Yeah, right?
4: Kahuna was killed in gang violence, so yeah, unfortunately right. we're not getting him back, guys. Rough that's neighborhood,
3: Eatontown, New Jersey. A, rough neighborhood.
4: Took an ice pick in the ear or something, right? Yeah, his yeah. gated community had uh, some violence, apparently. So. <laughs> but uh, with us today, two great friends of mine. Actually, and truth be told, the reason I know you, Ming, is because of these two jerk-offs uh, sitting across from me Don't here. blame me
3: for that. <laughs> <That's> yeah, a, <laughs> don't
4: blame me for that. Uh, one of my favorite joke writers. I'll let him figure out which one I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Actually, we'll start with you first. Uh, uh, One of my favorite comics to work with as well, too, and a guy who recently got jokes on the roast of Alec Baldwin. Ken Krantz joins the show. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, buddy. I miss you. And also the- to uh, clap you in there. There you go. Our live studio audience. And fresh off yet another acquittal, Chris Covert joins the show. (laughs) Yeah, that's- How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Dude, uh, you realize it's because of you and Ken that I got to meet Mike and Ming because we did the O'Halloran roast, the yes. legendary Brian O'Halloran roast. What was that,
1: three years ago? Yeah. Almost
4: three years ago, yeah.
3: Wow. Was, yeah, three years ago in September. Don't yeah. worry, Brian's going to put it out soon, he says. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Soon to be released. I'm sure Netflix is going to gobble that right <laughs> off. A,
1: yeah, well, hey, he's been busy. Yeah, he's been really busy. Uh, You're still waiting to go on, right? That's That's
4: it. <laughs> I, Ken called me out on it too because I've never seen – like I was pacing like an expectant father and something bad was that because I was just like, I think there's no jokes left. I think everything's been said. You destroyed. Uh, you destroyed. It was a very fun night, dude. And your Aunt Jemima joke is still uh, – <laughs> but Ken, you got – yours is up on YouTube, right? Yeah. So uh, check that one out. If you want to see chunks of the Brian O'Halloran roast, they are available uh, over on YouTube, so – Check and best seen out. in chunks too. That's spewing <laughs> <laughs> chunks for Scott Schafo. That's all we're gonna say, mm. guys. Who uh, has agreed to come on? By the way, as long as I, you know, can drive. You, you were able to get him.
3: <laughs> wow. Uber service provided. <laughs> oh man, it's um, it's funny though on this one. Like, I'm, I'm exce- COVID's really knocked some of these guys down, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: The- I finally got to do a parking lot and I never, uh, never thought I'd see the day. But. People are excited to do parking lots now. That's the great part. It's weird, especially when it's just so freaking hot. And I was in Staten Island, so right by the main drag there and trucks and everything else. <laughs> But uh, I've done
4: dirtier things for less money in That's parking lots, so
1: <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it.
4: Oh, I knew that was coming, dude. It's a uh, it's a weird time for the whole comedy it is. thing. It is. It's, um, and it's it's also weird too because uh, like we were just talking about it earlier that uh, like when you go back to work, like if there's the idea of like a job or anything, if you guys ever shit in at work on company time. No. Yeah.
1: No.
4: No, Covert never no. has, apparently. Yeah. You okay? had to, no. to pull it Only
1: when I owned
3: the company. A, that, that <laughs> was the, I would consider that my time. Oh, yeah. I saw. A, I guess I liked the page of your old sub shop, and then I saw it come up on Facebook the other day. I was like, do I still have to follow this? No, nah, you
1: You good. <laughs> I think we're off the hook now. That's,
4: I waited too long. Otherwise, I could have had a, one of those sandwiches without feeling any guilt. But uh, all that being said, uh, next time any of the audience listeners uh, pay any attention to this, next time you guys shit in a company-provided toilet on company time, uh, realize that you owe it to today's American loser, which is uh, the uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire of 1911. So uh, almost 500 people had to die, but now you can shit at work and get paid for it. That's great. It's a decent
3: trade off. I feel like. You earned that right. Well, all that labor reform that shit, wasn't on wikipedia this is new information you dude it it tripped me out uh just how
4: much of this stuff because people talk about it on the show all the time where the it'll be something weird we talk about that got skipped over in a history textbook where it's like listen you want to know how we got to this thing it's usually written in blood there's usually something terrible that had to have like sure yeah you know, how did ken how do you think we figured out what the maximum height you could survive from a diving board is someone had to fuck up yeah it's, but uh, this one's exciting, man, because this, um, this is like a, a, a weird time in history. It's 1911. We, we always use—do um, uh, you guys know the word zeitgeist? Yes. <sighs> yeah?
3: <It's, laughs> you know what it means? No, but like, I, I know that you know, there's
4: like Ze- Yeah, it, it's literally just—it's German for spirit of the times. Yeah. So uh, here now with the zeitgeist for 1911 New York, which, by the way, today's incident, building is still standing, historically preserved monument— and it's uh, within walking distance of the comedy cellar. Next time we're all uh, trying to crack beers or something in Greenwich Village. Nice. We can go walk by the scene of where some 500-odd people. No, it wasn't
2: 500, Kevin. How many? Uh, I thought it was 100 hundred forty-six. 146. It's, Six. Uh, 100, the, there were 500 the people working that day. But. That we know about. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. That, that I could, I could it be. was like
1: 144, and then two died in the hospital the next day.
4: There you go. Well, they as we're a gonna, did his homework. See these guys. This is when you have money guests when they come in knowing right. what they're talking <laughs> right. about. to yeah, do a little so, research. I've is it still
1: called of- the Ash Building? Because that's hilarious.
3: That's a- <laughs> 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 that alone is funny. Indeed, it is. Uh, that is really. I didn't even realize it was called. That's like, um, you know what the title of Jerry Sandusky's autobiography was? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was touched. Oh
2: Oh,
4: nice. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry. (laughs) But uh, the Ash Building is correct, Mister. Trying to thumb through that. Yeah, it was.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was the Ash Building, and it still stands. Uh, now they're calling it the Brown Building. Uh, and it's part of uh, it's part of uh, NYU's uh, (laughs) campus. And it's on the the corner of uh, Greenwich Village.
4: Corner of Green and Washington. You can see uh, still see the building. It's one of the. Honest to God, it's like a fiery Titanic is pretty much the story we're going to cover today.
1: Well, NYU owned the building next door at the time. Okay. And the students on the 10th floor helped get the the owners out and a couple of the people upstairs. Right. Not
4: that I did any homework, but. Now, dude, you're putting. they, They
1: knew not to go down. They went over.
4: Before that, the show, Krantz goes, uh, there's, does Cobert even know this is a history thing and now you're showing up right now? Yeah,
3: I was like, why are you – why would you put Cobert on a smart podcast? <laughs> what the hell, man? <laughs> but I think we're going to have some money because you guys
4: seem to both know what you're talking about on this one. But just for the listeners at home, LP, what's the deal, 1911 Greenwich
2: Village, New York? Uh, it's lower, lower East Side and uh, it's really a major manufacturing area. It's, it's like the heart of the garment district. This this building that we're speaking of is a relatively new building. It's uh, you know it's only about ten years old at the time of the fire that we'll eventually get to, um, and it's a ten story building. Which back in the day, that was considered a, you know a skyscraper. Man, you're really you're really up there. You're ten stories high. As we found out, um, the city was not prepared to respond to
4: disasters and such a, a thing too. Um, but also other parts worth noting. So that's the whole the idea of a garment district. It used to actually be a garment district, not just where like dog walkers you know hung out and right. studios and shit. But so New York at the time is wild. So you got um, Culver. What's your background, ethnicity wise? I've never figured it out.
1: I, I like to keep that under
4: wraps. Okay. I hear you. So all right, uh, he's well, black s- for the listeners at home. <laughs> just telling
1: you? But yeah, whatever uh, group I'm working in front of in, in the elks that night. <laughs> 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 In the parking lot <laughs> that's of the what, That's what I am. <laughs> there, you gotta be Polish. <clears throat> I'm a little bit of everything. I'm mostly German, believe it or not. Generous. I, do. Well, I a- have a strong. I have a great grandfather named Adolf Schmidt. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's a that's a tough denial. There, yeah, yeah. And
1: where are you gonna go from there?
2: I'd heard a rumor once that uh, the
4: reason why there's no Hitler last name is because they changed it to Tebow. Is that correct? (laughs) Could be. absolutely could be. Um, But no, so the point I was trying to make too is that – so New York around this time has all these massive immigrant waves coming in. So you have the – the Irish have been there for a little while. You got the Italians that are coming over right now. And there's this massive influx of – I'm not picking on you, Ken – but you want to guess what religion the people are that are coming over here in you know mass exoduses from Eastern European countries? Got to be the Jews. You know it, sir. Um, and we quote Colin Do we Quay,
0: have Jews? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Survey said. <says>. Survey said <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that is how they solve this problem, though, is they said, we'd better, you know, let's get some Jews on this. And they just pretty much solved labor reform in New York. So when you talk about the unions, there's always they talk about lose reception, Molly Maguire's, stuff yep. like that. You talk about, uh, uh, you know, the Italian mafia coming in and running. But really, it was Jewish reformers with like the muckrakers and all the progressive shit that they helped make sure that shit like this didn't happen anymore. So literally, we owe it to Jews complaining is why we have workplace safety now. Yeah,
3: you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. It's 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 listen. It's not enough that like we got to run Hollywood. (laughs) We run the deep state. Everyone answers to us. Yeah, we fucking handled labor reform for you, too.
2: So now you can take a dump on the job and thank the Jewish persuasion exactly. for that. So next time you hear somebody you start to, complaining about them, you just remind them. All right. You don't have to sign out. Next
4: workplace dump you take in. is, uh, you know. Thanks. Yeah, thank I was you brought to you by the Jews. <laughs> Oh, man. So uh, the two guys that own this, uh, did you have any more on the Zeitgeist where we set up the story? Uh, the no, I mean, it, we're,
2: we're coming off, as you said, the uh, really the middle of the 1800s was a, a huge Irish immigrant wave. Uh, they're, they're more established now. Now they're getting more into what would be termed the lace curtain Irish that they've already done a lot of the, the, the shit work and have now progressed up either politically or economically um, but the next immigrant wave is a lot of Eastern European Jews and a lot of uh, um, Italians. So
4: Jews are coming over, especially from Russia around this time, because uh, Tsarist Russia is literally people. I didn't know this until I, I read a little bit deeper on it. But um, all of the propaganda that's later going to show up in Germany that Hitler's going to use to say, like, oh, here's why we got to get rid of these guys. It all started in Tsarist Russia, Tsarist Russia pre-World War I. So they were starting to pin all their problems on the Jewish population. Uh, so all that stuff just got kind of recycled by Germany. So now Jews are having a rough time over in Russia and the other Eastern European countries. They're coming over here in waves. And again, pretty, yeah, you know, Jewish people as a whole tend to be, uh, pretty intelligent, learned people. You guys, I've never met a, a dumb Jewish person. I'll put it that way. I've, I know so many. <laughs> I mean, I count myself as one. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. You count yourself as one, but then like, you know, you got to aggregate it for the rest of the population. So you're actually – if you're on the lower end of the Jewish thing, that's the higher end
3: of western Pennsylvania. So that's <laughs> what you're... And I'm guessing we weren't welcomed warmly. When we, I feel I, <laughs> no, no. like nobody ever rolls out the red carpet like, oh, thank
2: God the Jews are here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They were oppressed in Russia, which is why they left, and then they came over here, and they're, they're also I facing
3: feel like the same oppression. we were doing well when we were the first and only religion, and then as soon as the second one came out, they <laughs> were like, these fucking Jews. <laughs> well,
4: it's like we were talking about before the show. It's uh, like the, the Alien franchise, you know? It's a, you know, the first one's really great, and then there's other people that prefer the second, and then swear off the other ones. The third one never happened, you know? It gets uncomfortable. But, uh... There's two particular Jewish fellows who emigrated from Russia we have to talk about first here. But LP, do you have anything else for you? No,
2: it's just, again, the, the, the times are, uh, you know, from like 1890 to 1900, the, the decade prior to the, to the fire. Um, that was a game, absolute game changer. Uh, you know, we're we're talking about the industrial revolution. There's all kinds of things happening. There's people are starting to get away from the whole Victorian era. And now we're coming into what would later be called the progressives. Uh, are now in that hey, things have got to change here with the the labor force, the common man, the guy that's working for a living. Um, it's estimated that there's probably a hundred deaths somewhere in the United States in the workforce. Every day that uh, somebody's dying, whether it's in a coal mine, whether it's in a steel factory, whether it's in the garment district or where, wherever it might be. I mean, uh, labor is not having an easy time of it. And meanwhile, this is also pre-income tax. So the rich are definitely getting richer and the poor are definitely just still continuing to be oppressed that uh, the working guy is really taking it on the in the neck. So uh, around this time in New York, too, the Irish are uh – Mostly doing civil
4: service jobs because there's a political machine running New York called Tammany Hall, right, which we did a three part episode on people should definitely check out in the back catalog. Um, So that's our loser section for the week where we reference something else there. Um, And the Irish picking up a lot of weird jobs here and there. Uh, Actually, covert, do you want to guess what industry the pre Hollywood for Ken's sake, what industry the Jewish population arrived in America and just instantly kind of took over? We mentioned it. It's the Blank District, not Diamond. Don't say Diamond. Don't say Diamond.
1: (laughs) Uh, Did we say Garment
4: District? Hell yeah, buddy.
1: Oh, Garment (laughs) District.
4: (laughs) So Jewish uh, people are coming over here. There's two people in particular uh, who are sort of the villains of the story today, if you will. But it's uh, Max Blank and Isaac Harris. And they're two uh, Russian-born Jewish fellows that escape Russia, and they come on over to America. And... um, They realized that uh, the two of them are going to be able to – they're both working in the garment district already, right? And they're actually related to each other by marriage. So uh, they already had this excellent kind of working relationship. They could marry each other back then? Pretty much, dude. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh,
4: Oh, they married sisters or
1: something. Yeah. I I think it was a cousin
2: type of a thing. But uh, yeah. Uh, They're both like 20-somethings too. I mean they're both young guys, recent immigrants from Russia. Um, They've had – Garment industry experience back in Russia. Uh, Harris uh, was a tailor, uh, and he starts working immediately in the uh, in the immigrant sweatshops. I mean, that was that was work, uh, if you want to call it that. I and mean, you're talking thirteen-hour days, seven days a week, and by the end of the week, you could have a whopping six bucks. Wow! So, so it was thirteen-hour day. You get a half hour off for lunch, but that was unpaid lunch. <laughs> and it was just cranking it out seven days a week.
1: Well, I'm going to stop complaining about my company, That's then,
4: <laughs> I
2: guess. <laughs> well, it's weird because they, they talk about the fight
4: for 15 and then when I first read it, I was like, oh, wow, they had that solved. Oh, a week, $15 a week. Okay, not good on that one, man. But they uh, it, it's unfortunate because now these two guys are smart enough to go into business for themselves. They form this partnership. Blank's going to handle the business end, and Harris is kind of like the subject matter expert on fashions. Big fashion at the time, by the way, was something called shirtwaists. So you guys know anything about that or? I yeah, do you,
3: you do? Mm. Not really. Uh, they're blouses. So I, they're uh, like yeah, blouses. Exactly. They're exactly. The, they look it's a little the gayest name. Shirt, like, waist. Back, shirt waist. they had the gayest names for shit back then. Yep. It's uh, yeah. It's weird too because that was considered a
4: very feminine, uh, progressive outfit for the time. Oh, yeah. Because it was, it was loose-fitting. It wasn't this Victorian thing where there was, like, you didn't have to get, like, zipped up in the back or anything. You could wear this shirt, and it was, like, uh, it was liberal in both uh, form-fitting ways and then liberal as in, like, uh, oh, and it's women. Because it was modeled after a man, like, a dude's shirt. So they did that whole thing, too. It's almost like uh, – but then there's this weird stuff that goes on with it, too, where there's the shirt waist, you know, factory. The people making it weren't really great dudes. They didn't really treat women well. So it's, like uh, – if lululemon was owned by the nazis <laughs> right but but women are still sitting there like I, I know the nazis are pretty bad but these are so comfortable <laughs> i only have to wash them once a week <laughs> right. right but uh these two boys uh right harrison blank are going to literally become known as the shirtwaist kings of new york because uh they zone in on that particular market and you know as we covered uh, i believe it was uh the the scholar sinbad said women be shopping." And, uh, <laughs> so
1: I
2: like how you work. That, was, that was a quote. Okay. Uh, but what was the price for the shirt that it was three bucks? right? Uh, three bucks. Yeah. I mean, it, and the, the genius between, between these two guys, one Harris was definitely into the whole fashion and production of these waist shirts. And Blanc was the, the salesperson. He was the guy going out there, beating the bushes, getting people to, you know, the major, um, stores to, uh, to buy it. And this particular fashion, this shirt waist fashion was the rage of the day. Uh, for the women, it was like, all right, yeah, now we're going to have a, a blouse, if you will, that's styled after a man's white shirt. But it's it's more you know loose fitting, like Kev said. And uh, um, it's certainly miles away from the old hoop skirts and that type of a thing that yeah. came from the Victorian era, which was the fashion that predates this whole thing. So this was, you know, high, high fashion and it was being accepted by the very, very rich and also the, the working class. And these guys were genius in that they could, they were knockoff artists that they took the current fashion and figured out how we could produce this on the cheap and then sell it to the masses for three bucks, a three bucks a shirt.
4: See, I was curious about that. You know, where the, the $3, what would that would be adjusted for inflation back then? No, that's
2: that was for the for the time. But, you know, if you're if you're being paid six dollars a week uh, and you're working seven days a week for your for your whopping uh, six bucks, you're still working half a week to be able to buy a blouse that you've been cranking yeah, that, out. That you, you've that been you, cranking that out that made. <laughs> right. And right. I don't want to give
4: one of your jokes away, but you have a great. Uh, joke in your act about um no, he the <laughs> <laughs> you have a great joke in your act about um we'll just call it uh, uh, child labor mm-hmm. right so <laughs> it's hilarious to talk about now obviously it's still going on globally and everything but the United States around this time uh, there were stories of kids working in canning factories who were only considered done for the day after they passed out on the labor line. So it was like once this once the kid droops over and his head's on the conveyor belt, then it's like,
3: all right, I guess you're done for the day. Go home. Wouldn't you learn how to make yourself pass out so That's- fast? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you have kids now. Too. I would, I I would be miss. home training. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if I hold my breath, <laughs> I'll pass out. But it was brutal that way. There was um, we'll cover it later, too, because this story is a weird one. Here, the thing is though all right so yeah they put little kids to work but like what was the life expectancy back then that's like 25 you know what i mean? like by the time you were eight you were like you should have had a fucking job middle-aged yeah <laughs> right
4: right no they're funny that way dude it, it uh it had to be a completely different um just lifestyle in general too because the earlier ways and, and this is actually something cool with um Uh, So that Tammany Hall thing we talked about earlier, the political machine that was running New York for literally from Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton's time all the way up till LaGuardia because LaGuardia is the guy like finally put the death nail in them and everything. But uh, so that Tammany Hall thing, it used to be all they had to do was court the Irish votes. Right. You get the Irish to vote. And the way that they would buy off the Irish was, oh, why we'll give these guys, we'll give away like free hams or something like that around a holiday, or we'll give out coal so you can put a couple pieces of coal and you know, keep yourself warm at night. Pretty easy to buy off. And then uh, the Irish are already going to vote for all the Irish politicians from Tammany Hall because they had the same last names. Now, Irish people are starting to move out of the cities. You have the two new immigrant waves, which is going to be uh, Italians and, uh, and, and the Jewish immigrants. And you have to figure out how to start working with them. And labor reform. Yeah, ham,
3: ham's not going to cut it. No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's a whole other tactic
4: now. You God, go, that was beautiful. You <laughs> got to go corned beef or something. Something right, from the belly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Pastrami. <laughs>
4: oh, man. It was, uh, it was absolutely perfect. But they uh, so now you got to figure out how to work with these people, and labor reform's going to be, become a whole big part of this. So there's already stuff going on pre-shirtwaist fire, and uh, Blank and Harris they got a, a little checkered past. As cool as they are in terms of being an American success story, a lot of their factories seem to just burst into flames, Dad.
2: Yeah, they first formed this partnership in 1900, and they set up a small shop, and they was they were doing pretty well. I mean, again, they they were undercutting everybody else that they could do it cheaper. And uh, Harris was the guy that was really in the production thing. And uh, and Blanc is just selling the shit out of it. Um, but then they had a mysterious fire. It was after hours, so there was nobody there working at the time. But they had a mysterious fire that uh, they then collected the insurance. And with that, they went on to a, a different locale and, uh, you know, bigger and better and just kind of up the ante.
1: That wasn't that uncommon.
2: No, no, no. That was a uh, – that was uh, – Standard operating procedure. Yeah. Just a- and by
1: 1911, the shirtwaist had start slowing down in their popularity. Really? They started – they were adding a little extra lace and frills and stuff, but uh, they were still still a downward trend.
4: Well, let me ask you this, Chris. Uh, uh, if there was a fire to break out in the studio right now – Yeah,
1: it would be me. Would- <laughs> <laughs> on,
4: and on purpose. I just wanted my pumper table back. <laughs> um. But if there was a fire here, uh, what's your egress plan? Um, Did you ever see
1: the Seinfeld where George pushes the old lady out of the way and bolts to the door (laughs) and there wasn't actually a fire? It would be something like that.
4: You're not wrong. I've seen some people get panicky. Like, remember that cigarette you had at that Great White concert back in the day? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) People lost their minds.
3: Did you see they just had another concert? Like during no. COVID and everyone's freaking out. Oh, and like, Jesus. They had like a not socially distant concert. How? How do they do that? Oh, but you know what? I say that and then I think it was 79 years to the
4: day, right? Am I say, right? 79 years to the day. There was another massive fire after the shirtwaist fire in the Bronx that <laughs> killed like upwards of 100 something people. Was yeah. that was the Pantlegs fire? Probably.
2: Yeah, it was in a club though. You're right that uh, again they were uh, people were mobbing the exits and trampling one another, and people died in the in the fire. It's brutal that way to think, and the the way that
4: because obviously this story again, like we say, is weird because we almost we're not starting with fire. The fire should be like the 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 big moment of the episode. It's actually gonna be the middle because it's the aftermath that makes it important. Yeah, but this fire is brutal. I mean, the way that these people that the idea that there is even an egress plan right now. Ming would have to put in, I would say, at least 90 minutes worth of work, boss, before you could figure out how to make it as difficult to get out of this room as it was to get out of this goddamn shirtwaist factory. Like it's, I'm talking about you'd have to go and start boarding things up, um... Now, imagine if – and you guys are good to us here. And I'll admit it. I've taken a couple of bags of Death Wish coffee when you weren't looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I definitely have made sure to fill uh, – He's well, got you on the camera. Yeah. <laughs> I took a couple IPAs here and there out of the fridge when uh, on my way out. You know, But um, imagine if when we're done with our shift, we're all a bunch of Jewish ladies, right? And we just got done working our 12-and-a-half-hour shift with the unpaid lunch. And we're getting ready to go home
2: after our, what, 52-hour work week? No, that's what they were hoping for. Hoping when for. You, Jesus, If you got bad. 13 hours a day, you're working for 12 and a half. You get a half hour for lunch. So that's a 13 hour day by my book. That's uh, 91 seven days a week. That's 91 hours by the end of the week. So do you think that the advantage of hiring Jewish laborers was that
4: they didn't eat off on Sunday for mass? There well, has it, to be something to it. Right.
2: Yeah, well, it was that was, was the job. I mean, if you want to work, that's what you're going to have to do. It's seven days a week. It's no day off on Saturday for the Sabbath or Sunday for the, for the, for the uh, Christian side, which is probably the other, um, percentage of the population that's working there is the, uh, the Italian immigrants. Who were also going to be cat cause that the point right, they're not going is- to temple on Saturday. They're going to mass on Sunday, but you know, if you want the job, you're there seven days a week. So they're the Jewish immigrant
4: way. wave comes over. And I'm just realizing this now, as I'm saying, it which sounds so stupid, but, uh, without counting the native americans that's really one of the first ethnic groups to come over here of a different religious denominations that that changes everything because it used to be that on sundays you had the the morning would be for worship or whatever this is back when it was like you know tabernacle shit with like eight hour services you'd go home have lunch and come back for the second part of it but um
3: yeah, brutal. Can you, imagine, yeah, 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 can you imagine? Yeah, could you imagine? Can you imagine being like 11 and your choice on a Sunday is going to work or going the like fucking temple? Uh, Oof. <laughs> it's uh, it's like red zone, but with religion,
4: man. You know what I mean. You're just you have to be there the whole day for it. Um, but there, it's it's really brutal that way. But now we're gonna get into the fire here now, which is uh, I mean, just insanity. But prior to the fire, you said it best, Dad. So the conditions are all. Fucked up. There's there is reform going on. There's actually a labor strike that I think concludes 13 months before the fire. And there's this uh, pretty impressive lady named uh, Clara Lemlich, another uh, Russian Jewish lady. Uh, and she was uh, you want to talk about dedicated to the cause. I'm sure we've all seen some YouTube videos of you know unrest and whatnot going on in America over the last five years. That there's some uh, some protesters that are like trying to make a scene so they can go viral rather than this chick. She walked the walk, too, man. She literally got her ribs cracked by the cops during a protest uh, because uh, she was you know, campaigning for workers' rights. And a, a bunch of people, Tammany Hall was backing a lot of this because Tammany Hall would run the cops and stuff, too. So now they would hire, quote, cops who are really just thugs and other tough guys on the street to intimidate or beat up protesters. So all you're saying is like, hey, can we please have a toilet at work? And, you know, maybe we'll work 52 hours a week. For ten dollars or whatever it winds up being, but uh, you know we'll do all that. But that all we're asking for is you know maybe maybe guys make things maybe we get one fire escape that works, maybe just something like that. (laughs) And they're just like get give me my fucking back. You believe the shit coming out of this (laughs) chick's mouth? Yeah, (laughs) take over,
2: dude. Yeah, no, it was uh, at the time uh, there were very few labor unions, and uh, you know a lot of people. Today, we'll tell the freaking unions, you know, that's why the, the job is going to cost me so much more money if we go with union labor and everything else. Well, that was really an outcome of the the factory owners. They weren't going to provide you with shit. They were, they were all about the dollar for, the, for them. We keep that, saying
4: factory work, too. This is sweatshop shit. This yeah, it's, is like it's as sweatshop. bad as it it's gets sweatshop. in America. <laughs> now,
2: what's interesting, though, with the shirtwaist factory, they're, they're in a relatively new building, a, a 10-story new building. It was only like 10 years old. And compared to some of the other sweatshops, this was this was pretty good. But it was actually a two edged sword to the owners because instead of having all these little um, small little mom and pop operations or, or do the work at home and then gather it up at the end of the week, now you got all these women. Estimates were that there was probably 500 uh, women working uh, the day of the fire. On three different floors, on the eighth, ninth, and tenth floor of this relatively new building. So instead of having all these women divided up throughout, you know, the Lower East Side, and they're now they're all in one place, and it would enable them to come together more as a as a union or as an organization, you know, the the sisterhood, if you will. Um, and there were uh, union movement. Prior to the to the fire, I think it was like, I think, would you just say 13 months? There was a labor strike because it started in
4: 1909. That's when this this first thing and then the fire happens in 1911. So th- they've been saying something bad's going to happen soon, any moment now. And then this shit went bad. And it was like if, if they had just done maybe one or two little things, you could have avoided the massive reforms that are coming. Right.
2: You know, right. I mean, once these women showed up for work um, they weren't even allowed to go to the bathroom that the, the, they, they, you know, the, the nicety of would to say, well, the sanitary conditions weren't quite right. Well, yeah, they had to go out of the building to go to a bathroom someplace else. And the only way you could leave your workstation is to ask the foreman to unlock the door so that you might go out of the building. Cause Hey, that's downtime. You know, you're, nothing's being produced. If you're on the, on the shooter here. Well, and, uh, who's, who's taking over
4: for you? I, I set it up earlier, too, a little bit. So now imagine uh, that, you know, Ming is our supervisor. We're done with our 12-and-a-half-hour workday. We just want to go home. When everything's done now, we realize we're good to go. Everything's been accounted for. Uh, Ming is then going to search us for contraband to make sure we didn't steal right. Death Wish Coffee, Death IPAs, <laughs> Ross Brewing, uh, right. Miller High Life, anything like that. He's going to check us to make sure that we don't have anything on us. Then he'll unlock the one door that he'll allow us to have. Now, that's a, a pretty good idea if you need to control space like that. But what if there's a fire and all of a sudden all the doors are locked and no one has a key to it? What if there's four elevators but only one's in operation? What if the fire takes place on the eighth floor and the fire department only has ladders that can go up six floors? Everything's about to come crashing. Literally, it's the greatest... Um, I'm gonna say conundrum, but that feels like an understatement. It's a perfect storm. Perfect yeah. storm of total shit. Yeah, Perfect firestorm. <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and then uh, the whole thing too—that these women weren't allowed to leave until they were checked by the by the foreman to make sure that they're not taking away little scraps of uh, cloth. That yeah, were, God forbid no, you well, bring home a fucking napkin. Right, a little <laughs> little scrap from the from the cutting room floor um, that, that they're trying to sneak off with. That these guys were were so Tight, so cheap that they wanted to make sure that there was no pilferage of, uh, of the company assets. There was no Death Wish coffee going out the door. There was no, <laughs> no even scraps from the from the uh, from well, the cutters. Had
1: they been taking the scraps, the fire might <laughs> yeah, not they have they been they so have, bad. Right, right. Two down months up. of uh, yeah. scraps under
2: this table. At, that was uh, that extent. was the other thing too. That once they uh, <laughs> once the fire did start. And it was suspected that the fire started by uh, somebody flipping a cigarette into the the scraps of yeah. They said they this. used
3: to sneak cigarettes. They would like nice. smoke them under their shirt, right? Which I've done with weed. At, <laughs> at, um, so I get
2: I get how you might try to hide that. Shit. Yeah, I was
3: I was actually at a wedding once watching the people come down the aisle, and I was under my like, <laughs> like this. <laughs> so I get I get the like the movement of it, but um. A little that rebellion. Maybe, yeah, or maybe just fucking let them go take a smoke break.
4: All yeah, shit that, that had to be – because, uh, again, we, we joked about Western PA earlier, but that's where the Molly Maguires are going down uh, years earlier, where the Molly Maguires are the Irish coal miners that are killing the foremen that are treating them unfairly, right? So you have absolute violence going on out there. And now uh, these things that are being requested pretty peacefully, to be honest, you know what I mean? Uh, it was uh, – I mean Colin Quinn talks about it in the New York story that you had to have – the Jewish labor movement had to be people saying, are you willing to go downtown and complain about conditions? And someone goes, I, I got the perfect person for this
2: job.
4: I ought <laughs> to oh, wave the people for you. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's a relatively peaceful movement here. But again, uh, Blank and Harris are you know kind of jerk-offs. Uh, they're cheap. They got yeah, these, these arsons that keep happening.
2: They're not. They're not having it. There, there was an option or a possibility that they were going to install sprinkler systems into this brand new building, this Ash building, this ten-story building, and they weren't having that because that, that's going to cost money. So there's no. There's going to be any sprinkler. And they've already had fires in previous buildings. So this was not. And meanwhile, these these two guys that the owners, Ash, I'm uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Harris and and Blanc. This isn't their only building. They've got a Jersey connection. They've got production facilities. Ah, here it is. They got production facilities in uh, in New Jersey, in Newark. Um, um, I believe it's Blanc's uh, Brothers also have uh, buildings throughout um, throughout the United States. So they're, they're cranking this stuff out all over the place. Um, the, the The strike that happened 13 months before. I mean, these freaking women, they're asking for a 20% pay raise. Can you imagine 20% pay? Really? And they want a 52-hour work week. I believe that strike or that
1: march ended. It was for not just the Ash Building, but it was for everything. But it ended at the Triangle Shirtwaist Building.
2: There was one of the marches
1: that came, and that like that was the rally headquarters was in front of the because garment workers' off (laughs) uh,
2: Harrison. Triangle Shirt uh, was like the uh, the big big dog in the garment industry. They were the largest manufacturer um, in the garment, and there was I read something that there was probably about twelve thousand different facilities in the Lower East Side of New York City in the garment industry. Whether it's just some little, you know. Sweatshop, kind of a thing, or a full size production. Um, yeah, people used to guys.
4: die at work in places that now make ceviche. So that's like a, a weird thing with New York, how it's always turning a new corner, if you will. <laughs> but they, uh, so the uprising thing is all there. I do want to get into the fire now, too, because Ken's right. There's there's some poor bastard smoking a cigarette, trying to sneak one. These poor Jewish ladies are done with their 12 and a half hour shift. They start, you know, they get checked by uh, their supervisor. They're good to go. They think they're going home now. Um, keep in mind, this is uh, like a, when you think about this, when you read about it, Ken, what did you think the ages were of these women? Because in my mind, it was like women in their 40s or something like that. But you made a good point earlier that age was different back then, too. I thought,
3: well, it's, I actually remember reading about this in history class. And I always thought it was like mostly kids. It's uh, it was
1: a few, yeah, 14 year olds. A lot of
4: teenage girls yeah. in there, too, almost exclusively women, too. And the idea being that women had tinier hands, so they're, you know, better working in the garment district. Um, and they're young, and almost none of them speak any English. So, on the one hand, you have Blank and Harris, who are these successes, you know, this great American success story uh, Russian born Jews that come to America to flee oppression and are now a multi million dollar company. I must right? break you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't unhear that now that's the problem <laughs> but uh, they come to America they do this whole great thing and you're like oh wow that's great anybody can really make it but their entire labor force is made up of the exact same type of people that right. they came over and they're imposing just you know, as bad if not worse oppression than Tsarist Russia
3: yeah I was actually a little impressed that they can get these kids to work a job <laughs> like I can't get my kid to do like my kid won't put on uh, shoes that I want her to put on right. Like she won't You know what I like If right. she doesn't like the outfit She's like no fuck you I'm not We're going into tantrums and clean yeah. your, clean how, how, my room I, Who are you to tell me To yeah, clean Yeah I can't room? get her To pick up anything <laughs> And to right. be like hey, right. Go make me like Eleven blouses right. today
2: Passive resistance Now these yeah. two owners though I mean they They came from <laughs> Oppression in Russia They came over To the Lower East Side They started You know doing Doing the same kind of shit In the garment industry But now they're Successful businessmen Big time success Because they they move from the lower east side where they got their start and they move uptown they're on the on the west side upper west side they've got the to one To a guy, deluxe apartment yeah, in the sky, sky absolutely <laughs> the one guy has got four servants in in his apartment and the other one's got five and they're being driven to work every day in chauffeur driven uh, limousine so yeah they they're, they're making it it's not like they didn't they're cutting everything to the bone on their own uh, salaries yeah. kind of a thing. So, uh, they're they're just uh, exploiting their own workers and coming from the same background that they came from.
4: Now, they're on the 10th floor because we talked about this earlier. Fire starts on the 8th floor, right? And uh, currently, we're on the 5th floor of a shared universe. So, imagine if we were back on the 3rd floor where you guys started out before American Loser brought in all the big money that moved you guys up here. And uh, it's um, the poor <laughs> bastards. <laughs> I on the ninth floor. On yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to see if he was going to correct me on air or not. He's, he's been pretty good to me so far. Um, but uh, so on the 10th floor is I believe Blank and Harris are on the 10th floor.
2: Yeah, they had their corporate offices on the 10th floor, on the top floor. With all the accountants and all that other right. shit. With all the other Jews. <laughs> Say what you mean. Well,
4: the, upper, the upper 1%, if you will, is on the 10th floor. They wind up uh, – when the fire breaks out, they get word of it pretty quickly. Fire starts on the eighth floor. Nobody tells the poor – the poor ragtag bitches, if you will, of the ninth floor are in for a world of shit right now. Yeah. They're yeah. absolute victims. They're the American loser of the story if we had to cover one right there.
2: So the fire starts on the eighth a call is put up to the tenth floor, to the to the you know the the officers, the, the officers of the company, to the uh, to the top floor, so they know about the fire right away. The ninth floor never gets the word; <laughs> They're like, they don't realize. Give them two, a,
1: no, three buckets of water. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then on the ninth floor, they don't realize that there's a fire until they start to see the flames and uh, the smoke coming up through the through the floor. And then when they go to the exits, it's already engulfed in flames. That the, their exits are blocked now by flame, so there's no way out for them. No. The people on the tenth floor escape. Um, I think you over pointed the, out over the roof over the roof yep. to an adjoining building. So. Yep. The bosses are able. Uh, Harris and Blanc are able to escape with some of their
1: Harris
4: Blanc,
2: Bialystok, Bloom. They're all over there. <laughs> so, and yeah. their children were there that
1: day. Some of their right, uh, some of their were kids were there. So them. I didn't know that. That's oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. It <laughs> was there. like bring your child to, to, work, to work to see and. other children work. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to see an insurance fraud
4: claim? Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh, but they wind up escaping, like you said. Now I pictured. I didn't know. I was happy to have you here today, Ming. But I, I did picture it being um, the Kahuna. Who by the way, just so everyone knows, Chris Covert gave him that nickname. That's the reason we have a big Yeah, the book.
0: origin is right here. That's
1: the right, right.
4: I did something.
2: The name giver.
4: <laughs> I I
2: christened the Kahuna. I christened the Kahuna. Well, wow, it's I, so I, fitting.
4: I pictured uh Kahuna though sitting right where Ming's sitting in the audio chair, and I just pictured flames in the windows behind him. And then Kahuna's is looking down at his phone, looking up and just being like, you guys have like 10 more minutes. Like, <laughs> 10, 10.
1: 10 more minutes. And then we have to appease the volcano.
3: <laughs> One of you is going in. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Here, here's what I didn't get so there. So the owners get out, the, the the head Jews get out over the roof.
4: <laughs> he's and allowed to say it, folks. He's it's, allowed to say it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Come <laughs> fucking cancel me during COVID. I didn't even have a career before it. Um <laughs> the the owners get out but it's people on the street who
2: report the fire
3: like the owners weren't yeah. even like hey maybe somebody should come rescue right. our people
2: right I, part and this of it, wasn't I think, the first fire that the shirt waste factory right. folks not have not experienced close. that uh, they've had previous experiences with fire so yeah uh, i believe
1: it was like 20 minutes before the actual call the fire to, started like 4.40, the, and then like 20 minutes later, the yeah. fire department arrived.
2: It was late Saturday afternoon when the fire actually took place. But you're right that the call didn't go out to the fire department until it was pretty much done by yeah. then. And uh, uh, when the fire company starts to arrive, uh, um, the the spectators, the people on the street are just appalled because now these poor women. Well, it gets a little teenage, gross too as these, we go. These teenage kids – um, who are, you know, in, in this in this sweatshop, uh, slave labor for the most part. Their escapes are being blocked by fire and flame. The elevators aren't working. The doors are locked. Some of these the, the uh, staircases down to the street are locked, so they can't get out. Um, and people are jumping down as the elevators go down. People are jumping down the elevator shaft, and some of the women are jumping. Off from the eighth and ninth floor to the street below. Now, when the fire companies finally do arrive, as Kev pointed out, the ladders only go up to the sixth floor. So the best they can do is go up six stories and then just kind of yeah, spray a mist. Pretty much power
1: washing. <laughs> <them or whatever. laughs> spray a mist from there, right?
2: Um, and uh, it's not like these guys haven't experienced fire before, but now as these women are jumping off, they're l- Landing on the hoses of the fire yeah, company yeah, below. the fire department. Now the fire department can't even
3: was Dodging
2: people, pulling bodies. Yeah,
3: and actually reading it sounded like nine eleven. 11 I did have that. Yeah, I was in the city on nine eleven. I didn't. I wasn't like I. Do you I wasn't, have a uh, "It's raining a Jews clip, man? <laughs> <laughs> but it, um, that wasn't a song. Okay. <laughs> But you heard about that. You heard people just right. just standing there looking mm-hmm. down, not knowing what to do, and then jumping at the last possible second. Here's That's the, and the fire, story on that one.
2: Now, let me just Uh-oh. throw this We're in here, too. to each other. Um, when the fire company gets there, they realize they can only go up six and they got to go up at least eight. Um, they start to set up a safety net, which is a relatively, <laughs> relatively new technology. So they set up a, a jump net that these women could possibly jump into the net and save themselves. But um, three of them jump all at once, hit the net at the same time, and go right through the net. These
3: fucking women got to do everything in groups. It's like You can't go to the bathroom by yourself,
4: right?
1: They couldn't go and sew a net real quick?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, there's another – because that story creeped me out, the idea of going through the trampling. Because there's something – because what it is it, it? It's time and tragedy equals comedy. Yes. So this is far enough removed now we can laugh at it. But at, at the same time, there's that that this one almost I can't tell if this is charming or, or brutal, but there was apparently a guy that as a gentleman was standing on a windowsill uh, on the, uh, the, the ninth floor with the women. Who would help them by putting a hand out, like to help them, like into like a carriage or something like that? Oh, milady, and then they would, <laughs> yeah. and then they would take F their time yeah. And then, um, but again, like that's when it starts to get unsettling too, because then you realize like these these are young girls, these are teenage kids. You know what I mean? Um, it's like uh, you know, I think that age fourteen was uh, like one of the younger yeah. uh, girls on that yeah. one. So these girls who don't speak any English are now they never even got warned about the fire. This one, fuck, it, it, it would be such a great Leslie Nielsen move for this to happen in like a, uh, you know, a naked gun type movie. But as soon as the fire breaks out on the eighth floor, apparently uh, they try to take the hose that's built in there. And you said they were the going to put the They go to take the fire there hose. There
2: were no sprinklers, but there were fire hoses. And the but- fire hose is
4: rotted and not connected. <laughs> so they go to grab the head of the hose and the, ho- the head of the hose comes off and there's no water coming through it. It was just... <laughs> Like a lot of people had to die for that laugh. A but. That's a
1: whole scene from Rudy. That was sad too. <laughs> <laughs>
4: but um. it, it's brutal, man. And you got uh, – so people diving down elevator shafts. Some of the women that were able to make it uh, all the way down the stairs that they finally like, oh, we're just going to take the stairs and get the fuck out of here. They're running down the stairs only to find, like you said, Dad, a locked door at the very bottom. And now they're either dying of smoke inhalation or they're getting uh, just burnt up to a crisp. It's Whenever it gets too hot for them that they can't stand anymore, all of a sudden that dive out of the window starts seeming a little bit more logical.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Fucking Jews and their locks. It was the only only option. (laughs)
4: money money <laughs> that's, comment right there
3: yeah, can com- be funny if you spell it with an X 48 minutes in everyone heard it oh. <laughs> the Gosh. high water mark
1: how shitty would that be to get to the exit door to run out and have some girl fall on top of you like Oof. you just see daylight you're like yeah. I got it you're right, finally yeah, you're right. and then the fat girl you were making yeah. fun of a half hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> boom
4: Yeah, you get out. When are you going to meet a nice Jewish girl? I don't know, Father. I can't find any nice Jewish
3: girls. We have one to fall out of the (laughs) hole.
2: God will provide
3: as it falls out of the sky. Oh,
2: God, it's so brutal. And another, it was just a calamity of different mistakes, too, that, you know, obviously we learn from this. But uh, even the fire exit doors, if they were unlocked, even if they were unlocked, they were in swinging doors. So you got all this massive uh, humanity trying to make their escape. And you got to have the door swing back at you. So people have to back up in order to open the door. And that's not going to happen. So people were getting trapped. And you made note of...
1: Because the elevator, the one elevator that was working, did make I think three trips, which only fit ten people. Right, right. And then people were jumping four, four down ones. the shaft. Wait,
3: like I think they actually broke through oh, the elevator. Yeah, yeah. they,
2: they said were said jumping
3: were going cobblable. down the yeah. shaft, yeah. trying to shimmy down the. the and there was and
2: one it. very small, inadequate fire escape, but this massive humanity is now on the fire escape. It was that a that the goddamn fire escape doggy door, fell, I what it was, fell yeah. off the uh, fell off the building from yeah. the, from the heat. Yeah. And the, the Ross, extra yeah. weight of everybody it, on. The, yeah, it.
3: they said it was a piece of shit to begin right.
2: with. Right, yeah.
4: exactly. So exactly. all these people are watching on in horror as this goes down. Um, what's the final death count? Because here's where th- we were talking about the death count earlier, where it's it depends sorry, on who. I think it's 146. 146. 146. It was, it was 144 that day. Two people died at the hospital later. Everyone exactly. else pretty much died. And the cops had to count bodies as they found them on the the road and then – or the street, rather. And then in addition to that, they were finding charred remains in the building. Still at their sewing machines. Some Uh, of them slumped over. Oh, God. Right. On the ninth floor especially. It's so brutal, man. The whole story is brutal. Well,
1: they also – I don't want to – I don't know. know, They had – for the people that could be physically identified, they laid them out. So family members could come the next day or the day after that to walk by and claim the bodies from the faces uh, that they could right. actually.
2: And a lot of times that was by maybe there was a ring on a, on a finger that could yeah. be identified or something that survived the fire. Well,
4: the triage of it, too, reminded me of, like Ken said, nine eleven, where you had people, you know, trying to, putting a picture up of somebody saying, have you seen this person? We don't have any clue what's going on with the so-and-so. So that's happening. Again, this is in 1911, too, that this is happening. Uh, And again, so this is an absolute disaster. There's no way, you know, we're finding the humor in it, but we're working for the humor. Um, But the the impact, why it winds up being important, is the shit that's going to come on afterwards. So uh, now Blank and Harris actually wind up getting brought up on some charges for this. Right. And they in the classic way, they hire the most expensive lawyer they can find. They get the Johnny Cochran of their day, if you will. Was he Jewish? Max Stuart. <laughs> yeah. You tell you me. Tell me. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I went to his bar mitzvah. Um, but uh, he winds up being worth his weight in gold, if you will, because he gets them off the hook. I think it was like seven manslaughter charges or something, right?
2: Yeah, that was uh, that was that they were charged with seven seven counts of manslaughter. And
4: they wound up, I, I think it was uh, whatever amount of money they wound up having to pay out is the it was legitimate, probably like twenty five bucks back. then. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you went through your Easy Pass without the fucking things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, for th- I believe they paid each family seventy five dollars. Oof. But from the insurance, I believe they made $400 per person that died. Came out ahead on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, so when I'm, all was said and done, I mean, well, we're, we're skipping over the trial, but um, you know, these guys are brought up on charges. Uh, they had to pay $25,000 uh, in bail money to get out of jail. And then they hired this Max Stewart, one of the New York's most uh, expensive lawyers, to represent them at, at the trial. The Perry Mason of his uh, era. Yeah, and— The it was an all male uh, jury because again now women aren't aren't voters yet and that didn't happen until 1920 right (laughs) (laughs) we we can work (laughs) them for 13 hours time to go to (laughs) court right Right. Um, uh, so the 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 whole case really keyed on the locked door and there was like over a hundred different witnesses back and forth both uh, pros and cons on on the whole thing that's what it hinged on that. These guys are saying, well, we had to lock the doors to prevent theft (laughs) because these women were stealing scraps of uh, scraps of cloth. The jury is made up of all men who are all businessmen themselves. And, you know, let's face it, that was that was a sign of that It was just the price of doing business kind of a thing. Um, So they get off. They get off on on this whole thing. And there's a huge uproar over this. So they're acquitted. um, And. They immediately start to rebuild their company. Initially, they have to pay off their lawyer, which any revenues that they were making on the on the new rebuilt shirtwaist uh, factory.
4: You know, they tortured one of the women that was testifying as to what happened to they literally one of the survivors uh, of the few women that were able to survive the incident. Um, they tortured her in the trial, like you were saying that mm-hmm. because they made her repeat her testimony enough times that if she got something wrong, it'd be like, oh, it seems like you don't really seem to remember everything right, that right. went down. To, so that you literally have the person who you victimized <coughs> trying to, you know, like talk about uh, believe all women and, and listen to your truth. This guy was just, "Oh, we're, you're actually right, but we're going to make you repeat it enough that it starts to sound incredible. So that's that, how they were able to pull that one off.
2: When all is said and done. You um, can't handle the truth. <laughs> yeah, That's it. That's it. Uh, when all is said and done though, the uh, two men, they, these two guys, Collected the insurance because they had insurance. I mean, it was just yep. same old, same old. I mean, it's what worked um, two times before. Why not let it happen again? So, the, after all is said and done, and they paid off all their expenses from the fire. They came away with an extra sixty thousand from insurance money. Of that sixty thousand dollars, though, sixty thousand doesn't sound like a whole lot back then. It does. Back th- back then, sixty thousand. Back then, today, I did the I did the math. Uh, we're talking about one point six million. So they made one point six million off of one hundred and forty six people dying. Um, the, the money and, that
1: they did have to pay was in a civil suit. They did win the legal suit but there was a later a, civil, a civil suit that they had right. to pay And then they, but, yeah, yeah.
2: they had to pay uh, what amounted to uh, $400 uh, per victim. But they actually made, again, from the insurance company, they made more than that. So they were actually, even after they paid the victims' families, they were still making money on these people dying. So uh, there was a huge uproar over over this whole thing. It was a huge march. It was estimated there was 350,000 people demonstrating after this shirtwaist factory fire. Was it all Jews? Did they get lost for 40 Uh, years? Because I've heard that story. I don't know.
1: Is that that?
3: That's
2: another
1: episode. That's That's another episode.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's an eyewitness, too, that is a very important player here because – we we did do our lose reception here, so Tammany Hall is involved right now. Tammany at the time not really pro labor and stuff like they're starting to see that maybe that's the 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 tides are changing that way. So it's uh you well, know they gonna, still want the vote. Oh yeah, they need. <laughs> right. Actually, it's weird. They're getting their asses kicked in state elections, but they're still keeping their consolidating power uh, in the city. In the city. So which is always weird because we've even talked about it before on the show that Albany versus Manhattan is like. That is the true north versus south in a lot of ways. It's very that that you don't know that that's the same state. Um, But one of the eyewitnesses of this who winds up becoming a a uh, pretty important person in history is uh, Francis Perkins, um, who, you know, obviously. It's the guy
3: that started the restaurant. Indeed it is. Is it really? <laughs> no, no. Oh, I was oh, like, oh, Not oh, even shit. a dude. <laughs> it's uh, Perkins. Yeah. I I it was, <laughs> that was Baby
1: from Dirty Dancing, right? <laughs> <That> t- <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody puts Francis in the corner. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Good old Franny Perkins, who uh, winds up going on to becoming the first female cabinet member ever in American history. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> but she uh, – uh, she decides that she's going to make these reports, and it's going to be safety reports, and they're going to start uh, going through some of these factories. Uh, she'd already been involved in the one in Newark, I believe, right? Yeah,
2: she was actually covering the uh, – because there was a, a similar fire, not to the same uh, death toll uh, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, previous to this, just a, I think a couple of months maybe. But she was actually witnessing the Shirtwaist Factory fire. So, I mean, she saw people – jumping from the eighth and ninth floor type of thing. And it's definitely made an impression on her for the rest of her life. She <laughs> made an impression on the sidewalk. Yeah, so, <laughs> a big dent. There's got to be some dent. weird TikTok videos somewhere. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, get the mop. <laughs> um, but... Uh, she becomes the first female cabinet member under uh, FDR, and she's very much uh, an influence with uh, FDR's new deal with, uh, you know, uh, helping out the, the little guy, the, the, the working stiff. Um, and she's only one of two people that was with FDR for his entire presidency. So through all of his terms of office, she was still part of uh, the FDR cabinet. So uh, pretty influential person. Um, with all kinds of labor reforms and, and that type of thing, because of you know her witnessing a number of different fires and just horrendous working conditions.
3: So we've covered it too. Okay, me, Ken seems a little suspicious that she I've, witnessed just, all these fires. Yeah, right? I, was, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be <laughs> funny it's if it's we just like found out
0: that she was an arsonist? You? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she had tryptochlorate on her
4: at all times. <laughs> um, she was uh, an interesting person to read about a little bit, though, because. She was like the definition of a ballbuster in terms of uh, like she would take uh, when she'd walk around these factories. There was I'm not even making this up. There was one factory uh, where they used to hide the child laborers in a elevator, right? And then they would stop the elevator uh, in between floors, and they would say, "Oh, that elevator's not working today." And then meanwhile, she'd sit there and wait for it be like, "Oh, well, let, let's get an elevator repair guy here." And then they, you know somebody would show, and then they'd open up. There'd be like 20 kids. Who were hiding from like the conveyor belt line or whatever. I mean, conveyor belt's probably, you know, a little too modern at that point. But uh the production line. Yeah, there were kids, you know, being it was almost like Temple of Doom where yeah. there was an entire like we're just hiding a child slave army <laughs> underneath here. Nothing to see.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so she finds that. Then they see a fire escape one time that's so small looks like a doggy door. So she actually tells one of the New York State assemblymen, oh, uh, if you don't think this needs to be changed, why don't you crawl through it and show everybody how effective it is? And enough, they're just like, you know, it's a, it, it's a little bit of a nagging wife thing. But in this instance, the husband is working conditions and he slowly kind of comes around and yeah. figures some stuff out.
1: Well, there were some amazing things with her. Like she never missed a vote. She never – Oh, yeah. Like she had perfect attendance
4: as, as far as she was a cabinet member. I read that. She kicked ass too with – um, there was a couple things because – This is – the the regular listeners of the show will appreciate where we're going to kind of leave off on here. But it's that – We're here. Huh?
1: (laughs) Both regular listeners are sitting right here. (laughs) I'm
4: trending in the Russian Federation. I don't know why. but they uh, – something that kind of spoke to me a little bit was there's this progressive wave that's coming through that people are starting to get on board with around this time. And as uh, we talked about earlier, so what becomes the New Deal really starts off in New York with the labor, uh, labor reforms. So it's FDR's policies that he's putting in as president you know, during the World War II era, Great Depression, all that stuff. But it's all stuff that's starting on a smaller scale in New York, and they're riding the popularity of progressivism, which is started by a certain guy who on the show – We tell people not to fuck with
2: dad. Who are we talking about? (laughs) None other than Theodore Roosevelt. You don't fuck with Teddy Roosevelt, man. Don't fuck with Teddy. Yeah, and it was during uh, Roosevelt's uh, presidency that uh, we had a lot of this progressive stuff really starting. And that was like the 1890s to the 1900s. That was, you know, Teddy's, that's when uh, Upton Sinclair writes The Jungle and and exposes the horrendous conditions within the meatpacking industry. Uh, There are other writers that, Became known as the muckrakers, that were exposés um, in magazine articles for the most part as to uh, the horrendous working conditions that some of these uh, sniffs had to had to put up with. Um, magazines was the mass media at the time, from like the late 1800s to the early 1900s. Um, magazines really became the, the mass media of the time. That now you can, because of advertising within the magazine, they're able to sell a magazine to John, you know, John Public for like 10 cents. Well, any, anybody can afford a 10 cent publication and find out all these interesting, uh, fun facts. So this whole progressive movement really is kickstarted with Teddy Roosevelt. He goes after um, um, the oil industry and the coal yeah, industry. Yeah, Teddy hunted and,
4: predators as a hobby. And then he, you know, he would go to Africa to hunt like Man eating animals, and then he would come here and, and start fucking with like, Carnegie and Rockefeller and all that shit. Yeah, like, the bad he loves to just drag his dick across their face. It's pretty, <laughs> TR's pretty fun to, to read about, man. The
1: original Dirty Sanchez. He is, dude. It, it's
4: some of the shit he pulls off, too. And then he supports all these movements. So they see that progressive thing, they ride that wave. Uh, Tammany Hall all of a sudden is just like um, Tammany Hall does like a bit of a Mel Gibson thing where it's like what you, if I didn't love the Jews, why would I work in your industry? You know, kind of <laughs> <laughs> so he's doing a, Well, you know, Tammany
1: was like um, democratic
4: right? yeah.
1: for the most part. Yeah,
4: yeah, but at the time it's so weird because it's the working class thing versus like the uh, um, the, the riding the immigrant wave mm-hmm. vote thing. So like you said earlier, they need to win they elections. Don't to fight. All right, they so killed. that
2: becomes their hybrid. They became they came uh, they changed with the times as the various immigrant waves changed. So did Tammany Hall. I mean, if if, if the voting block is going to be, you know, Russian and German Jews and the Northern Italians, or is it going to be the Irish or whatever the time might be that we're gonna we're gonna change with the times. Yeah. I mean, All in
1: favor, say da. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh,
4: I, I got nothing else. If you guys uh do you have anything you want to wrap up on here? We'll throw it to the guests, do some plug. Well you gotta say it.
1: what now what came from this? Now we have to have sprinklers, goddammit.
3: Sprinklers, right. fire escapes. Fire escapes. I Shitters, I pissers. did read I did read that um they had another fire after this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and all the doors were locked again like they came away uh, having yep. learned not a thing now, I, I'm, I don't think it was as yep. big a deal it wasn't like as many people but they owned another building that had another fire where everybody was locked in they went right I think what it, at
4: least five fires attributed to under their quote ownership
2: right, right? I think 1911 was, was the biggie that's where 146 people lost their lives after the fire uh, the big fire um they rebuild, they start, and they're getting a little bigger, a little bigger. They move into a a, a bigger location on West 23rd Street, and now we're up to uh, 1913, so two years after the fire, right? Um, the uh, the uh, Max Blanc faced a legal action again after he locked the factory exit door during working hours, and now he had to pay a fine of $20. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, which, he took he took the yeah, that, fine uh, of $20 and and then uh, <laughs> again they were uh um in nineteen four. these guys were these guys were great uh you know in 1914 uh, they had to pay a final fine when they were caught sewing fake Consumer League labels into their garments, certifying that the Im- items were manufactured under good workplace conditions. <laughs> oh, if you don't want to pay for the actual That's insane. they have work.
3: kids sew them in too. Like it's the right. most <laughs> fucked up. Right, right. With their eyelashes or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who was the principal the-
1: in Newark that kept locking the doors? Uh, Patterson, the Joe Clark. <laughs> Joe <Yeah>. Clark. <laughs>
4: Yeah. yeah was, every uh, time they show, the doors are locked. Stand by me. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's just a, this whole story is just a brutal story. But I, I did want to point out, too, again, out in the coal mine thing, you got Irish dudes blowing people up and, you know, shooting their foremen and stuff like that. And then here, a relatively peaceful, although a lot of lives got lost via more so tragedy than violence. But uh, that's really the start of the labor unions. And people who talk about the modern union, of being like, oh, you know, fuck this bullshit. You know, it's union bullshit. Uh, it was necessary. Otherwise, yeah, we needed the parking.
3: Right. <laughs> 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 oh wait, no, that wasn't your point. Oh man, it's uh. Thought that was another nine eleven joke.
4: <laughs> that, <laughs> that I can't remember who had it, but one of the the best uh, jokes about nine eleven I ever heard was a uh, uh, after nine eleven, anyone who wasn't a real New Yorker said, "The city's not safe. I'm moving out." And then real New Yorkers woke up on September 12th and said, is it alternate side today? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could remember the comic that had that joke. It was perfect. But uh, I want to say thank you both uh, to you guys, both Chris Covert and Ken Krantz, two extremely funny comics Thanks of comedy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you. Yeah, if you. it ever comes back, you should check out both of these guys here. Ken has an album out called No Punchlines Required, which – I was, was at the available. album release. Yeah. <laughs> it is
0: amazing.
4: I yeah, was amazing.
3: You, yeah, you and me were the only ones there.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, – well, you walked off stage. I remember that and I just remember writing to you. I said uh, – because I was blown away. It was the first time I'd ever seen an, a, a comic record an album and I just said uh, – Dude, uh, this is so cool. I'm, I'm very proud of you. and It's very cool to put all this together. And, uh, you know, to watch somebody put an hour together and believe in it and perform it and everything, it was just really cool. Thank you for letting me be a small part of it. And he just wrote back, Queer. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew you didn't mean it in any sort of hateful way. Was, no, you did You know, well, but there's potential it. I don't think – actually, I think he was on too many edibles to feel any sort of anger okay, at that point. That's possible. Um, but uh, – and then, I mean, Chris, whenever – everything comes back whenever you know uh, people are ready for a guitar comedy we know it's going to be Chris Covert (laughs) time
0: He's, he's not even guitar. a guitar guy. I just wanted to was get it wrong to
2: see joke? if he corrects me.
3: I oh do piano, God. sir. I do piano. <laughs>
2: That's right. Like, uh, I'm not just another. Singer. I wrote yeah.
3: "Sit on my face" on a Steinway. I'll have you know. Yeah. I was so trying to make. I was trying to make COVID rhyme with Hurricane Sandy. I, I just couldn't. I do was that. like, I was. I was waiting for you to tweak it to shelter in place. <laughs> 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 la la la. Jesus! <laughs> oh God, I just remember the last time I saw you doing that Sandy song, uh, like a year ago. Um, Give <laughs> the people what they want, uh, Ken. Try it. I just remember uh. turning to the other comics, being like, Is Sandy back in the news? <laughs> uh.
1: Every time there's a new, every time there's a new hurricane, I'm like, Please, wait, wait, why, why did Sandy? they
3: call it Andy? Can like, it why be? <laughs> Hurricane Manny? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, dude! Good times. I will tell you what. When this dies down, let's uh, let's the three of us do a show together. I would love it. Be that, like man. the blue collar comedy guys without all the fame and fans <laughs> and,
2: and money tickets, <laughs> tickets. And
4: no, man. It's uh, hopefully uh, they start to figure out things eventually. Who knows if they do, if they don't? It is what it is. But uh, see, uh, we're having our own reform now.
1: Oh yeah, we're, right we're about the union. Like COVID was the fire. And now we can't cough on the mic anymore, or whatever. I, don't know. I my one of my yeah.
4: great friends in comedy is Joe Fernandez, and I didn't understand his apprehension with this, but it was uh,
1: well. It stay COVID will stay on bald. That's <laughs> you got. It's
4: like the metal.
1: You got to keep wiping it down.
4: Well, he came out on a show uh, that I was on. Uh, I was hosting, and um, he was coming out as the, as the next comic, and he brought his own mic. And I ripped on him a little bit for it because he came out from the side of the stage with his own mic like we were doing some sort of a duet like, All right, everybody, we're going to do a, a – don't let the sun go down on me now or some <laughs> shit. And uh, I, so I was confused by that. And then I went to shake his hand. You can see me spaz out on, on in the video because I was freaking out. And then um, he had his own mic but not his own mic stand. So then I pulled the mic stand back a little bit thinking he was going to use uh, – that's how dumb I am. I thought he was going to use the mic stand. And then it's just standing there next to him the whole time. So – I literally negated the entire purpose because then he still had to move the mic stand out of the way. So he went through all this effort and I literally unknowingly completely shit on him. But um, before we get to plugs for you guys, man, plug social media, anything you guys got, working people follow you. I, I do have people that listen to the show. They're all Russian bots, um. but. <laughs> so, um, uh, you can find me at get coverted something. I so say you did the art, by the way. That don't fuck with tr art. Yes, we know not to fuck with. It was Teddy. it's awesome. So it's if you haven't seen it, it's Teddy Roosevelt beating me up while my dad throws in the towel and Chris Ming and Mike <laughs> look on in horror. <laughs> Um, it's it's probably up there with my favorite things. I don't know ever. if we
1: were looking on in horror. I thought we were rooting for Teddy. Yeah, just <laughs>
4: <laughs> you guys are big bull moose party fans. Yeah, it's it. uh, as you
1: have guests on the show. I'll add them to the audience in the in the. It's getting
4: picture. it's getting uh, sizable, and uh, nice. no one's ever going to root for me over T.R. I've come to that conclusion, unfortunately. You
1: did a lot of good things, and you've done
4: That's, nothing. Nothing. I have one decent podcast. That's, That's
1: about it. it. <laughs> well, you got to
4: start somewhere. <laughs> and hot little Kenny Krantz Where can they find you, at, buddy?
3: Uh, Ken Krantz comic Fucking A man
4: Yeah On uh, Very funny Twitter Do you still have the Twitter Did the NRA Shame you into Deleting it again I still have
3: Twitter I had to go on private For a little oh. bit For um Like a week's worth Of death threats That'll happen I told you he's a funny he, follower He
1: also has One of the One of my favorite My other favorite podcasts Why bother with Ritu? It's very We don't talk about very very it on here. We don't Why not You want to plug Other podcasts No here?
4: I, I don't want uh, to plug other podcasts. I've been like, waiting like, for this. <laughs> um i <laughs> oh, No, it's all good. Ming's going to beep it all out. So, um, <laughs> But no, you guys, uh, it was great seeing both of you. I miss both of you hanging out and shit like that. Yeah, that's like, was great. Right Thank you and, for uh, having me. You guys both uh, phenomenal
2: guests, I thought. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. We and even did homework. Yeah, he did homework. I, and can I just say, a I'm, of
3: I, I for sure, like – you came in more prepared than me and I for sure was like, Chris doesn't even know that this is like a thing that you got to research and uh, I'm I'm impressed. I love impressing you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I
1: five edibles in and I'm still impressing him, Ugh. but he's also still impressed at the end
4: story of his daughter's book every time he reads it, so. Another great bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seriously dude uh, check out Ken's album No punchlines Required though you don't have an album out on iTunes or anything do you but or, I mean, songs yeah, on YouTube I stuff like m- that
3: musical herpes man so, so they he, d- he put out a new video at the beginning of COVID that I remember that very funny. I haven't, I haven't Ernie O'Donnell any shared any it since. too actually and then yeah. I saw yes, I'm playing with some country with him tonight, too. <laughs> I saw some country musician did a similar thing yeah mine was fun. but right. was not as funny yeah and came out much later yep lame lame
4: stealing um. my shit I'll tell you what, though. Uh, I want to say thank you to the fans who are listening to the show regularly. Thank you for all the written reviews. You guys really kick ass on that one. You can check us out at at American Loser podcast on Instagram at uh, American Loser on Facebook. Now the official page is up there. I'm at one. Yeah. I you know. Keep track of all the it's, phony uh, ones. I, I, there was one phony one. Actually, this this is that true. This blew my mind that the first episode we ever did, uh, which was about Grover Cleveland, wound up on YouTube underneath some sort of an Indian guy's thing with a, a picture of like some sort of a, a Buddhist statue. And uh, then the comments on there, someone was saying, love your content. Please keep things like this coming. And I had to report it because the guy literally just took the podcast, me and my dad right. talking. Put his and name on put it. Put his name on it and stole that shit. And it was like, yeah, OK, this is. Maybe this thing has legs if it's working well in the Bangladesh market. I don't know. No, you're not my friend. My friend, you're not my friend. You <laughs> are Mike and Ming? I do not know this Mike <laughs> and Ming, He referred to He'd talk about them like they are famous, but very niche market.
3: <laughs> I don't know. So this guy was just like, hey, here's my new podcast. Not even that. It was just he put it up, American Loser, Grover Cleveland. And
4: I even wrote to him. I was like, hey, dude, uh, you know, if, I don't know what's going on here, but my name's not on this at all. But it's, you know, it's clearly me talking. And YouTube was good. YouTube took it down like within 10 minutes, I think. Nice. But uh, they were good that way. Um, but there is, uh, I do put the official pages up on that one so that way I don't have to keep spamming my own Instagram on there. But if you want to check other stuff out, at sucks on Instagram uh, and uh, American Loser Podcast over on Insta as well. You want to leave us a written review. I totally appreciate that, man. That's good of you. And if you dig the show enough that you want the bonus episode we do at the end of the month, check us out on uh, Patreon. It's American Loser, obviously. And for just $5 a month, we will give you a bonus episode where you get more content from handsome bastards like Mr. Covert and Mr. Krantz over here. And I believe uh, this episode's going to come out after our episode on Huey Long, right? Right.
2: That's the next so, uh, bonus episode.
4: We'll figure out what you guys want to do for the next one. On that. But uh, Ming left the studio uh, presumably to go uh, block the fire escape. Um,
1: <laughs> He's so turning like, this into an escape room <laughs> <laughs>
4: see if we can get out in 20 minutes. That would be hilarious if it's just a bunch of factory workers pounding on an elevator door and it's just
3: Kahuna sitting there like alright guys so let me get uh, think of what what has legs but no heart <laughs> I don't even get why they wanted to escape so bad it's not even like they had something great to go back to it's like you're a fucking shitty child laborer that's, a <laughs> that's my poker but uh,
4: obviously, Covert's got to go because the poker game's about to start. going to happen. Well, he's he's got to play poker yeah, he's got to go play hours. poker online.
1: If, if all of Ken's edibles were outside, he would jump out the fifth <laughs> floor window. I guarantee it.
4: <laughs> but no, you guys were absolutely amazing, man. So I'll remind no, Ming that this us. ended at uh, the hour 15 mark or hour 16 mark. And uh, you guys were absolutely kick-ass. Uh, that was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, American Losers.
1: An American loser the day I was born.